Uh, I want to thank Doug for the opportunity to speak. Probably not good to thank him that he had hip surgery so that I could speak. But uh, I know how surgeries can affect your opportunity to speak. Uh, last October, specifically October 25, uh, Doug asked if I would speak on that Sunday, and I was so looking forward to it. But 10 days before that, I had surgery on my heart, and I was not able to speak. Uh, I remember when I was in the hospital and I was being wheeled from my hospital room to the operating room, I thought about all the important things in my life. I thought about my wife, my children, grandchildren. I basically thought about my family. But you know what else I thought about? I thought, rats, I'm not going to be able to speak at Mid-Valley Bible Church. <laughs> Just before, I don't remember anything else. That, that may have been my last thought. So this uh, really means a lot to me. It also means a lot that uh, at that time you prayed for me. You not only prayed personally, but uh, you prayed publicly. And that meant so much to me because while my surgery was uh, successful, uh, the recovery was not. It was slow. Uh, I struggled with uh, shortness of breath. And <laughs> that was so discouraging because that's the reason why I had the surgery, okay? It would be like taking your car to get the air conditioning fixed you pay the money, the mechanic says it's all fixed, and yet for the first three months, the air conditioning doesn't work. Well, that's the way it was with me. And, and for those first three months, I tried to put a good positive face on it because I'm told that helps with the healing. But I have to be honest with you and say, I was, uh, I was discouraged. I was afraid. And I was disappointed. And if I want to be honest, I have to say that some of my disappointment was with God. Now let me repeat that because you heard me correctly. Some of my disappointment was with God. And for the next 30 minutes, I want to explain what I just said. In the Bible, the uh, first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. So the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels because they record the good news of Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection. It's good news. In fact, it, it's the best and most important news the world will ever, ever hear. But when you read the Gospels, what you find is that not all of the news was good. I'm not saying that any of it was bad. I'm just saying that for some people, it was not received as good. For some people... They were disappointed. They were disappointed in what Jesus said and did. And that's what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is what I'm calling the disappointing ministry of Jesus. And I know that sounds blasphemous. But the fact is, is that in the Gospels, there's a record of some people, some groups of people, who were clearly, honestly, justifiably, disappointed with Jesus. But the question is, is uh, did Jesus really deserve the blame? Uh, you may be here, and uh, if you were brutally honest, and uh, that, that many times is where we have to get if we're ever going to get better, uh, if we're brutally honest, we'll have to say that we're disappointed, and some of our disappointment is towards God. But the question is, does God really deserve the blame? That's the question I want to explore today, and where I want to begin is by looking at some examples in the Bible where people were disappointed with Jesus. 
And the first example I want us to look at is found in Luke chapter 4. So I'd like you to turn in your Bible, print or digital. I prefer a printed Bible, especially if you're a young believer. That's how you learn the Bible, okay? But anyway, it's okay to use a digital Bible. It's the world in which is the future, okay? That's just a fact of life. But anyway, uh, I want to encourage you to use a Bible because today, by my request, it's just going to be me, you, and your Bible, okay? In the book of Luke, chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he returns to uh, where he was raised. It's the city of Nazareth. That's called a city only because it's too big to be called a town, all right? Uh, but it was not so big that I'd like to think most of the people in that city knew one another. And I think when Jesus returned to the city of Nazareth, most of the people remembered him. They remembered him as a good boy who grew into a fine young man, a man that the city was so proud of. But when Jesus returned, he was claiming to be the promised king in Israel. And that was something that, that kind of surprised the people in Nazareth. But, uh, so, so they were skeptical, okay? They were skeptical of that. But they were also fair. Uh, they said, look, if, if you're the promised king, then, then prove it. Perform a miracle. Jesus had performed miracles in Capernaum, which was only 20 miles away. So why not for, uh, perform a couple in Nazareth? And, and we pick up the story, Luke chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus says this. And he said to them, no doubt, you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. In Capernaum, Jesus uh, had cast out demons. He'd healed people. But in Nazareth, not only does he not heal anyone, he argues that no matter what he does, people are not going to honor him for who he really is. They're, they're not going to believe his claim to be the promised king in Israel. And that's the nature of unbelief. They, they had uh, lived too long with the memory of Jesus being uh, Joseph and Mary's son. Uh, so what uh, Jesus does is to show that his response is not totally unfair. He says this, verse uh, 25. He says, but I say to you in truth... There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. 800 years before this, during the uh, time of the prophet Elijah, uh, the land of Israel was experiencing a severe drought. The drought had produced a famine. The result was that people were starving. They were dying. Everybody was praying for food, but only one person's prayer was answered. Uh, during the time of uh, the prophet Elisha, there were a lot of people who were struggling with leprosy, a horrific disease, and everyone was praying for healing, but only one person's prayer was answered. 
And what I think disappointed so many Jews when they heard that story and they were reminded of it is uh, the fact that the person who was fed may, may have been a prostitute. I know she's a widow, but she may have been a prostitute. And the person who was healed was a Gentile. <laughs> no Jews were healed. So not performing a miracle in Nazareth was not the, the first time it happened, and it wouldn't be the worst thing to happen. But for the people in Nazareth who wanted so desperately to believe in Jesus, I think they were disappointed at Jesus' response. And if you read the story, it gave those who totally disbelieved Jesus a, a reason to kill him, which they attempted to do and failed. Now there's a second example in the Gospels of someone who was disappointed with Jesus, and it's recorded in uh, Matthew chapter 19. And this is the scripture that we read. I'd like you to turn to your left if you're in a digital Bible or a printed Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record an encounter that Jesus had with a young man. Uh, the young man was rich, and to his credit, uh, he wanted to know what was required. And the word required suggests, just tell me the bottom line, okay? What's required to have eternal life? Now look at the story as it starts in verse 16. It says, and someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? I think to this man's credit, he went to the right person, asking the right question, hoping to learn the right answer. And if you read the story, Jesus gives him the right answer, except that it's not in the manner in which he was expecting. Uh, he thought that having a relationship with God was based on something we do, which... Uh, he was prepared to do and convinced that he had. But in order to convince him that uh, he really could not do anything to have a relationship with God, Jesus lists a number of commands that no one can keep. Again, he was convinced that he had. So Jesus says this down in verse 21. Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come... Follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Uh, instead of the word grieved, your translation might read sad. I know some translations read disappointed, and that's my point. Uh, here was a man who had so much anticipation, but he walks away from his encounter with Jesus filled with disappointment. And because this is the last time we read about him in the Bible, disappointment with Jesus is his eternal legacy. Now, one more example of uh, someone who was disappointed with Jesus is found in John chapter 11. So turn to your right to the book of John chapter, John, and look at John chapter 11. Jesus, during Jesus' ministry, he had a very special friendship with uh, two sisters and a brother, their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They live in a village, and I don't know what the difference is between a village, town, and city, but a village, we're going to assume, was really small. Okay? Maybe there wasn't any government of uh, individuals within the town. I don't know. But anyway, uh, they had this very special friendship with Jesus. Uh, they live in the same house, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, 
And uh, Bethany, which is where they live, is only two miles from Jerusalem. Well, while Jesus and his disciples are maybe 15, 20 miles away, on the other side of the Jordan River, word comes to Jesus and the disciples that Lazarus is sick. And if nothing is done, Lazarus is going to die. Now, since Lazarus was, I believe, as much of a friend to the disciples as he was to Jesus, I think it was so disappointing for them to see Jesus in no hurry, absolutely no hurry, to leave for Bethany. Well, when they finally leave and arrive in Bethany, they learn that Lazarus had died, and he was already buried. And Martha uh, is so grieved. She goes out to Jesus. She meets him. And you can hear the disappointment in her words. Look at John chapter 11, verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now Mary, she is so overcome with grief, she won't even go out to meet Jesus. Okay? She, she has to take some time to compose herself. And when she finally goes out and she meets Jesus... She says the exact same thing. Look with me at uh, verse 32. It says, Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, word for word, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, apparently, John heard both Mary and Martha say this. He writes it in his gospel. But I think if John were recording his thoughts, he would have said the same thing. Uh, Lord, if you'd only come sooner, my friend Lazarus would not have died. I could go on, but I hope you're seeing what I'm saying. And that is, in the Gospels, when you read them, there are some clear examples of people who were honestly, justifiably disappointed with Jesus. And I think the same could be said today. Today there are people who are suffering, they're starving, they're dying. Just like in the examples that Jesus referred to uh, in Nazareth, okay? There are people who are suffering, starving, and dying today. And let's not forget those who are suffering and starving and dying today are not all unbelievers. Many of them are believers, praying. They share our faith. And yet they're suffering, starving, and dying. But here's the question that I want us to explore, and that is just Jesus really disappoint people. Can we honestly be disappointed with his involvement in our life, or could there be another explanation? Well, I hope uh, we're listening carefully because I honestly believe, and I think we all know this, that there have, there are, there will be times in our life when we are disappointed. And if we're honest, and I hope we always are, brutally honest, we're going to have to admit that some of our disappointment is directed to God. But the question we have to ask is, does God honestly deserve the blame? Well, I don't believe that He does, and there's a number of reasons why I don't think we can point the finger at Him. And I want to mention some that... that mean a lot to me, okay? I, I've experienced these, okay? And I would say one of the first reasons why uh, I'll say Jesus does not deserve any of the blame for our disappointment is because of what I'm going to call misinformation. And what I mean by misinformation is uh, the misguided 
deception that bad things don't happen to Christians. You know, bad things happening to good people. Well, they do. Uh, and I think we know that they do. But, but here's what I struggle with, and I, I kind of think maybe you struggle with, is that if bad things do happen to Christians, then the belief is, the expectation is, there's always a happy ending. Okay? Isn't that what we think? <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it's a dark time. But man, we love those songs. There's, there's, a, there's a sunrise, and, and uh, yeah, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. Well, is that true, <laughs> this side of eternity? I, uh, when I was in college, uh, and this was back in the early 70s, there was a booklet put out by Campus Crusade for Christ. And I've forgotten, what, what is Campus Crusade for Christ called today? What is the name? What is it? Crew. Okay, I, I, I just didn't pay attention, okay? But anyway, uh, at that time, there was a booklet put out called uh, How to Have a Happy and Meaningful Life. And uh, many of us, me included, used it to share the gospel. Some of us may have used it to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, in the booklet, there is a very clear presentation of the gospel. The problem is, is the, the title is misleading. Because, yes, you can have meaning in your life when you have a relationship with Jesus. You do have meaning. You have substance. You have purpose in life. But just because you have meaning in life doesn't mean everything that's happening in your life makes you happy. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes we as believers can live with the misinformed belief that uh, a relationship with Jesus does make us happy. I want you to think about that young man who was uh, so disappointed with Jesus. He asked a fair question. But where he failed was he never considered that there might be another problem, a bigger problem. And the problem was not just that he had to know how to have eternal life. The problem was that, that he had a problem with sin. And he was incapable of doing anything about it. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. I think we know the verse. What's interesting is a couple chapters later, the, the word desperately, it's a Hebrew word, it's translated incurable. Incurable. Our nature is filled with deception. And it's an incurable disease. But like so many good religious unsaved people, he was convinced that he could do something about the problem. And because he refused to accept that he could not, he walked away filled with bitter disappointment towards Jesus. But you know the question we might ask ourselves is, okay, I've trusted in Jesus. What about my life in my relationship with Jesus? Can I still be disappointed with him? Well, that all depends. If you and I pick and choose what we want to believe about Jesus, then we probably will be disappointed with him. And, and who, would be, who would better know that than the disciples? Remember, the night before Jesus was crucified, he met with his disciples. And uh, they talked about a number of things, but one of the things Jesus did is he told them what life was going to be like after he was gone. And he says this in John chapter 16 and verse 33. He says, in this world you will have tribulation. Not trouble. Not disappointment. But the real deal. Tribulation. But then he says this in the very next breath. He says, but take courage. I have overcome the world. 
And that's what I like to call the good news, bad news of the Christian life. The good news is Jesus has overcome the world. And that's great. He's died as the substitute for our sin. He's overcome the world. The bad news is the world in which we live still bears the scars and damage of sin. And I think that explains in part why horrific things happen for no explainable reason. Uh, I'm a hospice chaplain. And I was over to visit a couple this past week. And uh, the husband's in great health. Uh, she, just within the month, has just taken a turn for the worse. And she asked me, they're LDS, okay? She asked me, why did this happen to me? Well, this was my initial visit, so I'm not going to get into a lot of things, but I said, we live in a world that still bears the scars and damage of sin. And sometimes things happen uh, in the wake of all that damage for which there's no explanation. Something else that's true is, is we live in a world with a system that literally hates our faith. Okay? It's a hostility, but... It is a hatred. And after you feel that hatred over a, while, a period of time, it begins to have an effect on your mental and emotional health, which is why sometimes we can feel like a victim when Jesus says we're a victor. So one of the reasons we can be disappointed with Jesus is because we buy into this misinformation that uh, oh, bad things aren't supposed to happen, or if they do, we're always looking for that happy ending, and the happy ending may not come this side of eternity. Let me mention a second reason why we can be disappointed with Jesus when Jesus deserves none of the blame, and it's because of what I'm going to call unrealistic expectations. And to see an example of that, I'd like you to turn back to the book of Mark, and I want you to look at chapter 10. It's just one book to your left from uh, the book of John. Look with me, or two books to the left. Look at Mark chapter 10. In chapter 10, Mark records a request that two of Jesus' disciples made. Their names are James and John, they're brothers, and here's the request. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us, well, whatever we ask of you. Now, <laughs> You cannot ask that question with a straight face, okay? This is the kind of question your child or your grandchild will say, and I can hear mine say, Grandpa, I want you to do whatever I ask you to do. Well, you know, come on. You can't ask this with, with a straight face, which is why, according to Matthew's account, they asked their mother to make it. But even though she makes the request, it's with the full support of her sons. Now, here's the request, verse 36. It says, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Now, in Matthew's account of this, he says that their request was related to the kingdom that Jesus had been talking about for the last two years. And since if you just read the Gospels normally, the kingdom that Jesus spoke about was a literal kingdom. It still is a literal kingdom. And so they make a literal request. But Jesus says this, verse 38. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And although I believe they believed they were able, I don't believe they had any idea what was involved, which is why their request was so absolutely unrealistic. One of the things I enjoy doing is taking my grandsons to Shields for lunch. They like going there because it comes with uh, an ice cream cone. And one of the things I enjoy doing is after we eat lunch, I like to walk around the store listening to that wonderful Christian music, okay? And uh, looking at stuff I love, outdoor gear. One of the things they enjoy doing is ending up in the toy department. And whenever we go there, they're always asking me to buy them something. I always say no because uh, I bought them something one time. And boy, that, that never stops, okay? I'm paying the price for that. But they're always saying, Grandpa, will you buy me something? Well, one time I was there with my uh, youngest grandson, AJ. And we walked into the toy department. He walked up to a toy gun. And he said, Grandpa, will you buy me this gun? I said, no, AJ, I'm not going to buy you that gun. I took him to the aisle just next to it. I picked up a Barbie doll, and I said, uh, how about I buy you this Barbie doll? And he said, no, I'm a boy, not a girl. And I was very tempted to buy him the gun because he knew the difference, all right? I really was tempted to buy him that. But I said, uh, no. Uh, he went back, and he got the gun. He said, Grandpa, will you buy me this gun? And so I said this. I said, AJ, if you have the money, then you can buy that gun. Well, he immediately put it under his arm and he started walking around as if it were already his. Well, we were in the toy department for another five minutes. When we left, he still had the gun under his arm. I said, AJ, do you have the money to buy that gun? He said, yes. I said, where is your money? And he pointed at me and said, in your pocket. <laughs> God bless him. Okay. <laughs> You know, just because we believe God has in his pocket all the resources to meet every need that we have doesn't mean he will, doesn't mean we ask. And if we ask and he says no, it doesn't mean we should be disappointed. Uh, what James and John did not know was what was involved in their request. Uh, what was involved is James would be the first disciple to die. John would be the last. Luke tells us that James died by the sword. I think that's a nice way of saying he had his head cut off. Uh, history tells us that John died through old age, accelerated by loneliness. I think of the two, John probably died the worst death. I believe had they known what was involved, I think James and John would have made the same request. I don't believe their mother would have. And I'm not going to blame her because uh, parents want the very best for their children, which is why our, our expectations can be not just a little high, but unrealistically high. But uh, whatever expectations we have, we need to remember that for ourselves and for our children and for those we love, God has something better. Better for our good, better for his glory. Amen. Let me mention one final reason why we can be disappointed with Jesus when Jesus deserves none of the blame. 
and it's because of what I'm going to call our limited perspective. I think this is the big one we struggle with. I want you to think back to the story of Lazarus dying. I think it could be argued that everyone in that story was disappointed with Jesus. Uh, why hadn't he left earlier? Why hadn't he come sooner? Why hadn't he done something? But you know, if you read the whole story, you know that Jesus' plan from, from the very beginning was to allow Lazarus to die, bring him back to life in order to put on display the excellence of God. It's what we call God's glory. In fact, Jesus had said that very plainly. John recorded it in his gospel. But no one had listened. And because no one listened, no one had uh, the right perspective. I remember when I had uh, surgery on my heart, everything happened so fast, I had no time to think. I had no time to gain perspective. It was like watching an episode of The Resident, and I was the guest patient for that week, okay? That's how I felt. Uh, but after I got back to my hospital room, I had time to think, and I want to just share with you some of the thoughts I had. One thought I had was, except for genetics, I had none of the contributing problems for heart disease. And that felt like a sucker punch, okay? I couldn't believe it. I also thought how among my siblings who share my genetics, I was the last one who should be having this problem. And I know that sounds selfish, but they've all said the same thing. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I want to be honest. I thought, stuff like this doesn't happen to me, okay? You ever said that? Stuff like this happens to other people. I visit people in the hospital with these problems. I'm not the patient with the problem. And then one other thing I thought about that I, I think about today is I did everything right and it all went wrong. You ever thought that? I did everything right and it all went wrong. And that's some of what I thought about during the nine, what I can say were the most miserable days of my life. I did everything right right but I want to tell you where I was wrong completely wrong it was insisting on viewing what happened to me from a personal perspective and not an eternal perspective and because I insisted on looking things at, uh, at what happened from a personal perspective an earthly perspective I was clearly justifiably disappointed, not just with what had happened, but, but with God's involvement in my life. I was, I was disappointed. But you know, when uh, we choose to look at life from an eternal perspective and not our personal perspective, we realize that God is in control and He has something better, better for our good, better for His glory. In every one of our lives, there have, are, and will be times when we will be disappointed. And you hate to think that it's going to happen again in the future, okay? But it's going to. And sometimes that disappointment can go so deep that our disappointment is with God. If we're honest, we'll say, okay, I'm not, that's where my disappointment is. But when we have an eternal perspective, then here's what we know. We know that there is no loss we experience on earth that we will ever regret in heaven. The only regret we will have in heaven is that we ever grieved over our losses on earth. 
A number of years ago, Cheryl and I took a trip to uh, Olympic National Park. We drove up there. And just as an aside, if you have an opportunity to visit a national park, go to Olympic. It's got the whole package, okay? Glacier-covered mountains, the wettest rainforest in the United States, and a rugged Pacific coast. It's got the whole package. Okay, back to what I'm saying, all right? We drove there, and we stayed in Astoria, Oregon. Astoria is where the uh, Columbia River empties into the Pacific Ocean. It's also where Lewis and Clark spent the winter in 1805. You might remember that Thomas Jefferson tasked them with uh, finding a water passageway to the Pacific Ocean. Well, they made that search. They failed because no such passageway exists. But when we were in Astoria, I learned that they were not the first people, first ones to make that search. The first person to search for a, a passageway, water passageway to the Pacific Ocean in the North American continent was a man named Alexander McKenzie. Uh, in 1879, I'm sorry, 1889, McKenzie uh, searched what today is called southern Canada for that passageway. He followed a large river, hoping that it would lead to the Pacific Ocean, only to learn that it emptied into the Arctic. That river today is called the uh, McKenzie River. But in his journal, McKenzie named it the River of Disappointment. Every one of us have a river of disappointment. It's that place in our lives through which all of our disappointments flow. And even though the river is a metaphor, the disappointments are real. But you know, when we view our disappointments from an eternal perspective, and this is what I've got to constantly remind myself of, and I hope you will walk away with the same belief. What I've got to remind myself of is when I view my life from an eternal perspective, then what I know is that there is no loss I experience on earth that I will ever regret in heaven. The only regret I will have in heaven is that I ever grieved over my losses on earth. Now, I am more than aware of the fact that that is a statement that only has value if we embrace it, if we believe it, we embrace it by faith. But, but faith is so hard when our disappointments are so real. And so what I'd like to do as we bring our time to an end is I'd like us to pray and ask God to strengthen our faith, okay? That's going to be our act of worship. God, strengthen my faith. You say, faith in what? Well, that at the very least, that the strength of our faith is equal to the truth of God's Word. And I believe that is a promise. Uh, that is a prayer God will honor. God will answer. And so what I'd like us to do right now is I'd like us to pray and pray for that very thing. Pray with me. Father, we do understand and agree with your Word that the world in which we live bears the scars and damage of sin. Thank you, Lord, that you understand that because too many times we feel the scars and damage of sin in this world, that we're disappointed. Sometimes our disappointment is with you. And Lord, where we have crossed the line, where our 
justifiable disappointment turns into anger and bitterness, maybe bitterness towards you, we ask for your forgiveness. We don't want to live this way. We want to experience the joy of our salvation. We want you to restore that to us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith to make uh, the strength of our faith equal to the truth of your word. And it's quite possible, Lord, that there might be someone here who has experienced such deep, deep disappointment uh, that they might say to you, Lord, I not only lack the ability, I lack the will to even try. And so we pray that in a very divine way, you would work in their life right now, rescue them from that despair. Help them to know that there is joy in that relationship with you. And that whatever has happened, is or will happen, uh, you have something better. Better for our good, better for your glory, and that ultimately is what we pray for in the name of Jesus. Amen.